Welcome to episode eight of Around the Bar. This episode, we are joined by David Delotti. David is a Supercuts owner and a Remax real estate professional. He previously was in media and covered Houston sports every day for 35 years. Welcome to Around the Bar, the podcast series where we talk about the law, life, culture, and hopefully have some fun. I'm your host, Ramesh Raguna. David, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I was really, really looking forward to this. I know that we've had uh, a relationship we met through my father, and, um, you know, it really meant a lot to me. And I can, I've always kind of wanted to tell you this. So, w- Dad and I, he wasn't the biggest sports guy, okay? But he always entertained it for me. And whenever we were in the car, it was sports radio. Whenever we were, you know, I always wanted to go to the games, where it was always on TV. And, He would hear the sports radio all the time, and he knew I used to listen to Charlie and your show. And he came home, and I think he had asked you if he said if it was okay if he told me, and you said yes. He and I was like, I was so impressed because I was, I think I was in college at the time, and I was like, congratulations, David Delotti. I listened to David every single day. Well, let me tell you this: your dad was, and I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you right now, but Mm -hmm. I really believe he was, in terms of bedside manner and treatment, how he treated folks. The best doctor I've ever had. Oh, that was and I, in complete, complete honesty here, no agenda. He really, really was. You could see how much he cared about his patients when you talked to him uh, beyond what he was getting paid, you know, to do that. And I've seen doctors that were the other way, too. Uh, and he was not that. And I, I had so much trust in him and so much respect for him. And I really, really liked him. I almost felt, when I went there, I almost felt like I was going to see my friend beyond beyond my doctor. So I wanted to let you know that. I'm sure you already knew, and you've probably heard that from other patients, too. I have, but, you know, he, he's, he's been gone now almost eight years. February 8th will be uh, eight years. So anytime I hear stories like that, it it always means a lot to me. It always makes me kind of a little bit emotional because um, I, you know, you, you learn things in life after they're kind of gone, right? right? And I never realized how amazing of a father he was and just an amazing person. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. Nobody was yeah. perfect. But, you know, the years following since he's passed, I, I would think back and I would think, man, I would be so angry at him and I would not understand why he was being hard on me for this. And now it, it took me much later to understand he was doing that for a purpose you know he treated me certain ways to make sure that i did what i was supposed to do he knew that if he couldn't coddle me because i would get lazy he always had to challenge me and sometimes you know it was it was tough to hear right where else with my sister very soft gloves because she would not respond the same way i would if he was hard on her so he had this amazing way with people and he really understood i I like to say he understood how the world worked how people worked you know i always tell this one story and then we can get into it a little bit is that we were packing for india when we were kid we'd go to india right and then we would take things to them you know to all our cousins and stuff and you know when you're traveling and you've got six suitcases you know you're running out of room and stuff and I remember my mom and him getting into a little argument about a phone. It was like a Motorola phone. And mom was like, just take it out of the box. And, you know, it'll be a lot less. And my dad was like, they like the box more than they like the phone. He's like, if somebody gives you a gift, especially in India, it's, it's coming from America. If you just hand them a phone, it's going to be like, okay, thank you. We appreciate it. But if you give them the phone with the box, he's like, they makes will. Makes it special. It makes it special. And he's like, they like it that way. And, it, you know, that story always kind of resonated because I was like, he really understands the dynamics of relationships and, yeah. you know, how to do that. So, but I really appreciate that. That was, yeah. it's really nice to hear um, anything. Anytime I hear anything about dad, it, it always makes me happy. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Houston. Um, my family's of Middle Eastern descent. Okay. But I grew up in Houston, always playing sports growing up had a tremendous amount of interest in sports, specifically baseball, I'll have to say, more than the other sports. Although, as a kid, the games I played were baseball and basketball. 
but really my interest was baseball. And obviously, like all of us, we reach a point where we know that <laughs> we're not we're not gifted enough to go beyond a certain level. This is this is going to be it. And I reached that level when I was I don't know 13, 14, whatever it was, 15. Uh, okay, this is the end of the road. I really at the time though didn't have uh, thoughts about becoming going to sports broadcasting. Mm-hmm. But my senior year in high school, and this is how I got started in sports media. My senior year in high school, I was actually working at a, a convenience store, and one of the guys that used to come, one of our customers was uh, a local DJ. His name was Ron Foster. Mm-hmm. He worked at, then the station was KIKK, a country station. I remember, 96, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 90, yeah, 95.7. Oh, yes. And uh, I mentioned to him my interest in sports, and we got to chatting about sports, et cetera, and he told me that they had a sports department there, and they had their sports director's name was Barry Warner, and that maybe I should give him a call and see if they had any opportunities, not necessarily for a job, but just hang around and learn mm-hmm. the business, see if I liked it. And I followed up like the next day. And sure enough, they invited me up there and said, look, we're not going to pay you anything because you're a high school kid, <laughs> uh, but you can hang out, uh, learn the business, see if you like it, see you know, if this is what you want to do. And I did. I took him up on that. I was willing to... I mean, I had a job, mm-hmm. and I was going to school, and I also did this. Uh, and where did you go to high school? St. Thomas. I went to Strake. Uh-oh. We're rivals. <laughs> I can't believe we get along. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that's how I started in radio, okay. is back then at, at Kick Radio. And about a year and a half into that, uh, they put me on the payroll. And basically, my job was to go around... Well, it was glorified gopher okay but you know i was to go around and get sound bites from players or edit we did a lot of tape editing then because it wasn't digitized so it was a time when you actually edited tape physically wow cut tape with a razor uh spliced it together and did all that so it wasn't everything wasn't done on a computer then uh, then it was it was done so i did you know my job was to do that and then just sort of rose through the ranks that way okay uh in radio so my understanding is when you start in radio, because I have a couple of friends, like one of my good friends is Tom Ackerman in St. Louis. He does, he works with KMOX, okay. and now he, he's doing color, I think, for the, for the Cardinals. He, he really, he had to put in his time, because I remember when I was in law school, he, you know, he's, he was a year older than me. He was working unpaid at KMOX in the sports that's, department. That's, and... that's used to be. It's not the same now, because... Well, there's different reasons we don't need to get into here, but that's typically it was called paying your dues. Mm -hmm. And what you had to do was like your friend or like I did was hang around a radio station or TV station, learn the business and start from the bottom on up and work your way up. Not a whole lot of that now. I mean, there's still internships and such, but they're strictly for college credit. And once the college credit is achieved, then, you know, they're back to going to school, et cetera. One of the things that I think we're lacking now is the experience of rising through the ranks because everybody walks in wanting to be a talk show star or TV star, sports media personality without really understanding the groundwork. And then you can see it later on in their careers. Um, I'll give you specifics. I mean, I was a reporter for my whole life. You know, I did talk show work, mm-hmm. but primarily a reporter. And there's just certain processes and guidelines that you follow to ensure accuracy and good reporting and how to get sources and to know that you have good information to go with. Yeah. I think a lot of that's lacking now in media. People jump right to the I'm a star okay. stage. I totally understand. It's funny you say that because I will tell you, even in our industry, and I don't know if it's a Gen X versus millennial thing, but we feel like when, and I've talked to a number of other, you know, uh, firm owners or business owners, it's that now whenever you interview, it's, we have a whole generation of managers. Nobody wants right. to come in exactly. and be a rookie. Everybody comes in and expects to have management perks and, you know, yeah. right off the bat. And it just doesn't work that way. Entitlement entitlement and uh, the idea that I'm me, I shouldn't have to do anything that's below me. And now I'm, you know, I know I'm just sounding like the old guy, you know, griping about the young kids, but it's changed. Mm -hmm. I will say this. I think there's more talent today 
than there ever was, I mean, on the air today, whether it's uh, television or radio, specifically in radio, than there ever was when I was first getting into the business. The talent is everywhere. My question is, 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 it, is it as refined and really knowledgeable as it could be? And the answer to that is clearly no, because radio stations and TV stations, they're not interested in that development. They don't have time for that. They need to get to the end game which is getting this person or this show to generate revenue. And, and that, Does that make sense? Yeah. So you need, you need this talent and it needs to be kind of ready. And if this guy can bring money, whether right. it's sponsorships, ads, right. deals, he clearly, that's right. what they're looking for. I mean, there's guys on the air today that, you know, far exceed any talent I ever had because they're entertaining, they're knowledgeable. There's no question about that. But I just wonder, was there that foundational education about, how things should work in the business. And what that does, to me, what that does is gives, gives you that foundational experience, that foundational knowledge, gives you credibility and lets you speak from a more credible standpoint. But, you know. Is, do you think that technology has a lot to do with it? Because I, sometimes I, I look at all of these different podcasts, you know, all of these different radio uh, hosts and personalities, and I feel like these guys have so much more at their disposal sure. in terms of tools, in terms sure. of, you know, tech and video and, you know, being able to. Well, put when I first got in, actually, when even in uh, when I first got into uh, talk radio, we didn't have the Internet, didn't have Twitter, Facebook, none of that stuff. So you really have to know a lot up here in your head, you mm -hmm. know. And you had to have some experiences to draw from in terms of relationships with the teams, with the players, having watched games, et cetera. Whereas now you can look stuff up on the fly and okay. formulate an opinion. I think that's a huge difference. True. So you started with, uh, and you're Barry Warner, the Barry Warner? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's, he's a fun personality. I don't, I've never met him. I just, you know, I've, you see him around a lot here in Houston. Yeah, I give Barry credit for giving me my first job in the industry. And then there's been a lot of people. Mark Berman's probably my, was my best friend in, in media, and obviously you know him. Yeah. Uh, he and I, actually, he was in my wedding. When oh, wow. Yeah. And he and I have been close friends forever. He really taught me what I was discussing earlier, that foundational, that there's certain ways to do things and do them right so that you have credibility, so that when you're working on, say, breaking a story, that you've got it from a good, reliable source. You're not guessing. Yeah. You know, people don't understand really what breaking a story means. They think if they just spew an opinion, that's, that's, that's not breaking a story. You really, really have to know the players involved. And by players, I don't just mean literally players. athletes. Yeah. I'm talking about management, coaches, agents, the whole landscape. Understand them, form relationships with them to really generate uh, stories. Mm -hmm. And if you've done it that way and you've done it the right way, you will be very credible. Does, it, does that make sense? It, it absolutely does because a lot of times I feel like today there is a race to be first, not to be right. Being, there's nothing wrong with, that's the other thing, there's nothing wrong be, with being first, but you also have to be right. So I guess what I'm saying is you can be first and be right at the same time, mm -hmm. but you can't do that until you've done that work, until you've laid the groundwork for that, created relationships with the people that you're covering. And making them trust you. Trust is a big thing. Yeah, that was, that was my big thing, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. is that I always felt that the, whether it was players, coaches, managers, owners, general managers, agents, that I could be trusted. Okay. And there's been several instances where that was tested in terms as I was told things off the record, told things uh, not for publication, and I knew things that were going to happen, and they did happen, and I was not the one to blurt it out. Mm -hmm. And people really gain a respect for you after you've proven that. Proven that. So after uh, being at Kick, where what was the next stop? I went uh, uh, KTRH Radio, which was seven forty. Seven forty a.m. Now okay. they had a obviously they were the big news talk station in town yeah. for a long time, and they had a big sports department, very credible, very good. That's where I first uh, worked with Charlie uh, Palillo, okay, Rich Lord, Rich Lord, yes. Uh, Tom Franklin was there. Kenny Hand. 
Uh, no, no, he that, was not there. He was at he, the next one, right? He was at, uh, at the time, well, Kenny was first the Astros beat writer. Oh, that's right. At the Houston Post, and then he became uh, a show host on KS, on uh, uh, 610, 610, Sports Radio yeah. 610. I think that was KILT, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was at KTRH, and he, uh, 610 hadn't been formed yet, because this was 92, 93. Uh, that's why I met, again, Charlie and Rich. Tom Franklin was there. Russ Small was the sports director. And Rich used to do the post game for the Astros because 740 used to carry the Astros, right? And during the time, it was a combination. I believe I got some of my dates are going to be off now. But at the time when we had the Astros, it was a combination of either Rich or Charlie mm-hmm. doing post game and Rockets post game too, because we had the Rockets for yeah. a long time. And Oilers back when the Oilers were here, pre game and post game. And then Later years, it was a long story to get there, but I did Astros pre and post a couple of times a week when they were on uh, KTRH the second time, later on, like in uh, 2008, 2009. If I recall, you used to do the call-in after the post game, right? I did that, and I did, on occasion I would do that, on occasion I did Astros pre-game show, Astros post-game show, where I was the host for both. Mm-hmm. On occasion, I was the reporter in the pre-game and the reporter in the post-game. Okay. And then, because uh, I remember when 610 started, it was it was Kenny and Rich. They had the, the big drive time. Right. At, I was at KTRH at the time, and 610 uh, came into existence. That was 95, 96. Yeah, that was so, like the birth and proliferation of sports, sports radio. Sports radio in, yeah. in this market. Yeah. Um, and they hired, uh, they had Kenny first, I believe, and they hired Rich away from KTRH. And to me, that gave him real credibility and legitimacy as a sports talk station. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, a few years down the road, they had hired Charlie and then me like a week apart. Yeah. So that's how we all ended up at 610. Yeah, and then they had a pretty good thing going because I remember they had some really good pairings, uh, like with John and Lance in the morning. John and Lance in the morning, right. And then I think they went national for a little bit, and then the afternoon drive time was Kenny and Rich, and then it was Rich and Charlie for a right. little bit. Right, Yeah. I never understood that mix, by the way. They just seemed kind of different people. <laughs> Rich and Charlie? Yeah. Oh, I thought they got along great. It was a great mix. Yeah. They were, yeah, first of all, they were great to work with. Yeah. They're really good people. Really, really good people. And I thought... They were great. Rich, were. Rich was kind of the first kind of voice for all of us in our in terms of the sports radio, like all of our friends. We all remember that. I think part of the issue that we haven't, I'm not trying to say anything bad, was he wasn't as good later on towards the end before he quit. And, you know, like in terms of his like knowledge, I felt we felt like he didn't put the work in a little bit. Really? Well, end. I didn't work with Rich for the past, gosh, I don't know, last eight to ten years of his career. Yeah. But I always respected him. I always respected his work. I thought he was terrific on the air. I thought he had Charlie a great was, voice. Yeah, Charlie was terrific on the air. And let me tell you something. It's a different experience working with Charlie. Mm-hmm. He's just a rain man of knowledge on yeah. sports, especially historically. You know, He's incredible. And he knows his mastery of the English language on the radio is just spectacular. It's yeah. unmatched, I think. Yeah. Uh, the way his phraseology... Uh, his perspectives are just terrific. Yeah, just, I mean, he has been, for me, that's why, you know, he's been, for me, one of the ones that I've always listened to. Like, even even the podcast snippets that he does now, I still will listen to him. I felt like he his command of the box, you know, when yeah. he, for, for, for someone to be able to, to hold a, a drive time show for that many hours solo. Right. It, yes. To me, was it, it just entirely impressive. Yeah, it, it was. I worked with him when he was doing it. Very impressive. And I just think it goes back to a lot of things. His knowledge, of course, was superior. But he puts in a lot of work. Uh, but I still say that his mastery of the language, his phraseology, and his uh, perspectives are really what made him such a great show host. Yeah. And the other thing is, he would not disallow or invalidate your opinion all the time. He'd allow you to discuss it, argue about it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but he was not one that was going to cut you off because he didn't agree with you. And I think sometimes that generated good conversation. It, d- it, it did. And I, it, speaking of his mastery of the English language, there are still things that I've heard him say over the years that I use. Like, 
you know, he likes to say, it's not reiterate, it's iterate. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, right. you don't say reiterate, you right. say iterate. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he has things like that uh, that, are, that are really, really memorable. Um, but he was great. He still remains one of my very good friends. Uh, we still text occasionally, talk occasionally. Uh, Rich the same. And those guys helped me a lot, by the way, in my career. I owe a lot to those two guys. I owe a lot to uh, Berman. Mm-hmm. who, you know, again, I learned a tremendous amount from. It's just a lot of people that really helped along the way. I'll, I will say this. I remember when 790 was doing their cuts, and I remember, um, and I think you were one of the cuts at that time, and you were producing Charlie's show. Well, I wasn't producing. I was, uh, uh, I was the reporter for that the show. The reporter for yeah. that show, yeah. right. And um, my apologies on the phraseology, but... Uh, and I remember it was the first time that like he actually opined about the radio business and it being unfair and like he, you know, he basically stuck up for you. Yeah, yeah, that's, but I mean, you know, you know, Bump Phillips said this about football coaches, there's only two kind and then, then that's been fired and then that's going to be fired. <laughs> and it's the same way in radio. Yeah. It's the same way in radio. And you just, it's going to, it happens to everybody. I guess I shouldn't say everybody because yeah. I can't speak for everybody, but it happens it's not unusual, put it that way. So I know that we've talked about your your interest and your your kind of your career in in sports media. I'm gonna ask two questions. One, I'm gonna ask, what are some of the most positive, best memories you take from the uh, from doing it? And then on the second part, what are some of the things that you just absolutely despise about the radio industry? Oh, uh, well, some of the best memories, quite frankly, is the relationships. I created over the years with players, coaches, general managers, owners. Drayton McLean was one of the most colorful characters ever to cover. And these people are not infallible, by the way. I'm yeah. not turning them into deity, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying they were just interesting people to cover. Really, the uh, array of personalities that I covered with the array of expertise, that was a big highlight for me. The fact that I was able to, uh, that people were comfortable entrusting information with me over the years, which they did, that was another thing that I really uh, felt proud of. Yeah. And this may be a different conversation for a different day. You know, people sometimes have a negative uh, perception of athletes, entitled and this and that. I can tell you from dealing with them over the years, the overwhelming majority are really good people, good guys yeah. uh, that just happen to be, you know, uh, blessed by God at birth mm-hmm. <laughs> with incredible ability, but really good people for the majority. doesn't mean they were all good. I ran, you know, mm-hmm. had dealings with guys I didn't like, couldn't yeah. stand. But for the most part, the relationships you form with all those people and then the memories you create, uh, that's the number one thing, the, 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 the personal front. But the other thing, from a professional standpoint, the memories you create covering such big events, like most of mine are Astros related. That's yeah. just because that's what I enjoyed the most. But covering their division titles, 97, 90, or their, I'm sorry, their playoff bursts, 97, 98, 99. Mm-hmm. Obviously covering them in the World Series in 2005. Uh, covering the uh, Rockets championships when they won back-to-back championships in 94 and 95, which Rudy T, by the way, is one of the most genuine good people I ever ran into yeah. uh, or I ever covered. So the events, some of which I just named, and the relationships that were formed, and some of the players that I covered, I'm still kind of Facebook friends with, that's, uh, touching base with. That's know. amazing. Because I, you know, I was curious and I didn't know kind of how to ask it, but how was it like to be in the locker rooms when these guys are celebrating? I mean, uh, it must have been amazing. Yeah, it was. it's great for them. But the first thing you have to remember, and this, this is really what I do not like about today, is that so many reporters and people in the media turn into fans in the locker room. What I call fans with a microphone. You have to be a professional in the locker room, okay? You're in the locker room for a purpose, and that's because you're allegedly a professional to do interviews, cover the scene, whatever it is. Uh, and I see too much what I call cheerlead, too many cheerleaders mm-hmm. in, in clubhouses today. That's not the job. To me, it erodes your credibility. Mm-hmm. Players will respect you, as you if you act as a professional all the time. Even if it 
you know, that doesn't mean they, they expect you to uh, kiss their tush 24, well, some do, but <laughs> for the most part, they don't expect you to kiss their tush 24-7. They know that criticism comes with the job. Yeah. They get it, as long as it's professional criticism, not personal. But there's an expectation to act as a professional, okay? And that's what I always try to do in locker rooms, clubhouses, and understand that I didn't, I wasn't entitled to be in there, okay? I was given that opportunity because I was a professional doing the job. If you respect that and you respect their landscape, you're just fine. Even when they're pouring champagne all over you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even then. Yeah, you really have to respect that, respect the landscape, understand. Mm. I'm not talking about the broadcasters working for the team. That's yeah. a little different thing because you're yeah. working for the team. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about the other, uh, the rest of us. Yeah, the independent, the in, the, independent yeah, coverage yeah. or yeah. local coverage. Right. Yes. I just think you just, there's, I don't know how to say it, there are courtesies and there's just ways to behave in a club, major league clubhouse as a reporter. And you have to understand the dynamics. And if you do that, you'll be accepted in there just fine. If you're not, quite frankly, you're not going to be respected. And oftentimes it's going to be looked at as a clown. And I've, I've heard from many different sources that in terms of covering clubhouses, the Astros clubhouse was one of the best. Oh, it's it was great. Very uh, it, it, nice fantastic. vibe. It's, through the eras, because mm -hmm. I covered them in the 80s. The 86 team, that team that won the West and went to the playoffs against the Mets. My favorite team. Uh, just <laughs> chock full of just wonderful, wonderful people. A lot of them we still see around today. Jim Deshays, who was a broadcaster yeah. here for a long time. Now he's with a uh, broadcaster with the Cubs. Alan Ashby, who was a broadcaster here. I uh, took piano lessons with Alan Ashby's kids. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Alan uh, Ashby and Gifford Nielsen lived in Sugar Creek right down the road from us. Okay. So we all had the same piano teacher. Okay. So one of our recitals, one recital was at the Ashby's because, you know, they had a, lot, a large family, Alan Ashby yeah. did, yeah. yeah. And uh, his next door neighbor was Gifford Nielsen, and he was doing the news, I think, at, uh, that, sports, yeah, yeah, yeah. at that time. And um, we would do the recital. So, you know, I don't keep in touch with any of them anymore, yeah. but, you know, it was. It Alan Ashby is one of the nicest people I ever covered. Yeah. Uh, that whole clubhouse, that whole clubhouse. Bill Dorn was really the leader of that clubhouse. Wonderful guy. Nolan Ryan was on that team. That clubhouse, to me, was the most memorable I've ever covered just because it was a lot of good, really good, good guys in there. At least they treated me professionally. They yeah. treated me well. Uh, but even in later years, that was one era. And then came the Biggio Bagwell era. They were great to cover. You know? And that had Caminetti, Caminetti and, right. and Gonzalez. And they had uh, a lot of young guys. They were fine to cover. Uh, not all 25 of them all the time. I was going to say, even Schilling? <laughs> <laughs> well, Schilling only spent such a short time here. Uh, but not all 25 all the time. I'm not, I'm not, mm. that's not that's not what I'm saying, but for the most part. And then the Altuve, I guess after the Biggio Bagwell, the Altuve kind of beer. And I didn't, obviously, I left the business, you know, in, uh, I forget, 2012? So, it, yeah, I, I was considered... So, I, did, I haven't covered the whole Altuve era, obviously. So, I, I always figured it was like the Bagwell-Biggio era, then you had that kind of Berkman-Oswalt-Pence. Well, there you go. Yeah, you're era. right. I left that out. Yeah. I, I actually covered that Berkman-Oswalt between the Biggio era and the Altuve era that stunk. Mm -hmm. And that was not... You bring up a good point, because that was not a fun clubhouse, not because of the guys, but, you know, when you're losing 100 games a year, there's only so many questions you can, I mean, there's only so many ways you can ask, why do you stink? Every, everybody yeah. knew why they stunk. They yeah. weren't good. They were rebuilding. They were unloading. The owner was trying to sell the team. Yeah. Everybody knew what the deal was, but you still had to go in there and get answers and generate content. And that's the time I also did uh, two, three times a week. I was a pre-game uh, host and a post-game host. Those were fun days, let me tell you. I'm trying to answer questions on, <laughs> on that team because sometimes fans don't get that you just take your lumps as you're trying to rebuild. Yes. You just take your lumps as you're trying to rebuild. I'm not sure that fans saw that because Drayton still owned the team that there was going to be a strategy to, you know, once Jim Crane bought the team, that there was going to be a strategy to rebuilding the franchise. They were just really hurt by the last two or three years of the Drake McLean era. Yeah, and you know, when you think about it though, so they, they made it to the World Series in 05, and then it was just like patchwork, right? I mean, they went after right. Beltron. It's kind of, you know, that was a failed attempt uh, because I think Papura was outmatched uh, by Boris and that. But uh, 07, they kept trying to sell us that they were contenders when, you know, you knew that the team had 
you know, it was older, right? right. It was, it was older. But what really got hard was as an Astros fan, you know, 11, 12, and 13, especially in 13, now you've lost 106, 107 games. You're on your way to losing 111, and you lose the last 15 in a row. So, I mean, I mean, it was like the absolute nadir of being a fan. Fans were obviously very frustrated, and I could understand why, and disappointed. And, but, I mean, at the time, Drayton was trying to sell the team, and not a good time in Astros history. Yeah. Not a real member. But I'll give Drayton credit for this, six playoff appearances in nine seasons. Yeah. So you got to give him credit for that. But, yeah, that was that was not a good time. But, boy, did Jim Crane made up for that. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. And, I'm, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Radio's cutthroat business. It can be really, really sure. tough. Share some of that experience. Yeah, I mean, obviously it can be real tough. I'll say this. I got in when I was so young. I mean, I was 18 years old, 19 years old, and I got to be on the air at Kick Radio when I was mm-hmm. really young. So I got gifted that. That that was I was very fortunate and very lucky. Most people that age don't get to be on a major market radio station. Yeah. So and then I got to see the business side of radio. Kick Radio was a music station. They decided that they were going to get rid of sports and news for the most part. Sports and news. Yeah. And just stick to playing music, which years later now I understand. Of course, at the time I don't understand. I didn't understand it. But that led to a job at KTRH Radio, which was a news sports giant at the time yeah. in the early '90s. And to be honest with you, I had a great experience there. I just yeah. you um, met a lot of great people. Yeah, Laura Morris was the general manager. She was great to me. My coworkers were great. Rich and Charlie were great. I just, I don't have any complaints about that. And then the opportunity at 610 came. So I moved there. Dickie Rosenfeld hired me, legendary Houston general manager. He hired me at 610. Again, I got to work with Rich and Charlie and everyone there. No complaints there. And then 790 started. Yeah. Okay. They were, for lack of a better description, an expansion team in Houston. They were the newest sports talk station. But all the talent went there. Well, not all in the beginning, because in the beginning, the first two guys they hired were Charlie and me, Uh about a week apart. Okay, they hired Charlie first, and then a week later, they hired me to be a reporter for the station. Ken Charles was the program director at the time. I do remember that name. Yeah, he was great to me. So what I'm getting to is that in my personal experience, things were great for me. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't have a lot of complaints. And then what happened was Clear Channel was who hired, that's 790, yeah. was owned by Clear Channel. And then during the 08-09 recession, things went bad. Yeah. Clear Channel went through a buyout. Private investment group, Bain Capital, bought them out. And they had to start making cutbacks. Well, I even survived one or two of those cutbacks. I didn't survive them all. Yeah. You know, but that's just the way it goes. And the biggest thing is... you. You know, I ended up after that at ESPN. 97.5, 97.5 for three years, I guess it was. However long it was, I lose track. And when I got hired there, they were great to me until they just found that it was not feasible. Now, here's a person in my position. If you're going to be a reporter, you have to understand this. What drives the revenue for the station? Talk shows and talk show hosts. That's the primary driver of ratings and revenue. A reporter is a good thing to have. It adds credibility. That's the biggest thing you're adding is credibility to the station, information, etc. Radio got to a point where they didn't think that was a necessity. That's where I fell off. But then I decided after that, that was it. That was enough. I had done it for 35 years. You know, I mean, in the same market. How much yeah. more could you really expect yeah. realistically? So I was ready to move on. Was yeah. that, we've talked before. I was ready to move on. And I, I really have, I've had zero, as you know, I've had zero interest in trying to do that again. I've, I really don't have any interest in anything that has to do with broadcast. I'm doing this just because I like you. We've been (laughs) friends for a while, but I just don't have much. Yeah. There's just not a whole lot of interest left in me. I've got other things now, business owner, a realtor. You know, I'm I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm not interested in that world anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I guess that was interesting. It's really glad. I'm really glad to hear that you had such positive experiences because I know that when we had talked kind of before the show, you were like, hey, I'm not interested in this. And I, in my head, I thought, man, did, did it, was it bad? I'm not, and yeah. I'm not, no, I'm yeah. not interested in that. I guess maybe burnout is yeah, part of it. Okay. I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I'll be honest with you, full disclosure. I'm not interested in the way things get done now. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of the way things get done. I don't think that you should be bringing attention to yourself by the most outlandish things you say. Yeah. I don't think you should be bringing attention to yourself by saying 
asinine things, okay? I think if you're good and solid at what you do for a long enough period, you will bring attention to yourself without having to do that. Quality. Quality, right. Yeah. Okay, but that's not the way it works anymore. I have no interest in that. I was not particularly gifted as a talk host. I just wasn't because I just don't have that gift of incessant gab, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know, but it wasn't my, and I was always honest about that. From, I think anybody that's worked with me will tell you I've always been honest about that. Mm-hmm. Wasn't my, my, I could do it on short-term basis, and I did. I did mm-hmm. it short-term basis. At every stop I was at, I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, to me, wasn't my strength, and I wanted to play to my strength. If I was going to stay employed, I had to do what I did best. But I'm not a fan of the way things are done now. I'm not a fan of what you have to do these days. Mm-hmm. I'm just, and this is just the old guy in me. I'm a fan of good reporting, good information, and putting it on the air, putting good stories, interesting stories, whatever, creating relationships with the people you cover. I think that's important. I don't think anybody does that anymore. I don't think anybody creates relationships with the teams and the people they that they cover. And I, having a guy on as a guest once in a while, that's not creating a relationship. I'm talking about doing the grunt work of every day being around so that players, again, coaches, managers, etc., recognize who you are. None of that's really done anymore. It's interesting because like I look at today's landscape exactly about like what you're talking about because when you started talking, I started thinking Pat McAfee, right? Because he's yeah. all the rage now. And if you remember when this all started, Jim Rome used to be the outlier, right? He used to be the big shock jock. And now it seems like everybody has to be shock yep. jock, right? Yeah, yeah. And you have to do outlandish things. And like you said, to your point with the having a guest on the show, a lot of that stuff is all sponsor related now, right? right? right. It's, it's, a, it's a sponsor of the show that has gotten in touch with, say, Aaron Rodgers, and now he's on the McAfee show three times a week or whatever. It's not because Pat and Aaron, per se, had this relationship that they worked up together. Yeah, and I, I'm still going to stick, I think, locally anyway, there's more talent than on the air now than when I was, you know, and uh, they're all more talented than I ever was. That's not my point. Yeah. My point is just being talented to me shouldn't be enough, but now it is. Yeah. Did you get a chance to work with uh, Adam Wexler? Sure did. Yeah, yeah. Adam's a great guy. Very knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah. And he's been at it a long time. Yeah. Talk about someone who's paid his dues. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, Adam's great. I don't have a problem with I work with a lot of the current guys. Even Cl- uh, Clanton, too? Adam Clanton? Yeah. I work yeah. with I, I I was at the end of my radio career, right when Adam was sort of getting go. Actually, he was doing a lot of work for Channel 2. He was on the air at Channel 2, KPRC-TV doing sports work. Then. That's right. He yeah. did start that one. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, Adam's a good guy. I get along with all the guys on the air. I don't have any beefs yeah. or anything, but that's, you know, I made sure of that throughout my career. I didn't want to create enemies. So let me ask you this. You covered Houston sports. You were, you've been doing it for 35 years. You got to see some amazing, amazing things. You also got to see some real lean years, right? These last 10 years for the Astros. Oh, did you ever imagine? That is my one regret is that I covered them for 35 years, but never covered this type of success. I mean, I covered them in the 2005 World Series. Yes. But this type of success, I that is my one regret that I wish I could have stuck around. And, you know, I wish my career was like started 10 years later or something. <laughs> but credit to Jim Crane. I think he's been a fantastic owner. I think Jose Altuve has created such a wonderful culture. I mean, what can you say? He, they're just, they've created a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere of winning. It's a culture of winning. And let me tell you, that's another important thing when people don't understand about clubhouses. The culture that's created in there, that's really important for a team. That's and you really, notice the difference being in there every day? Well, lately, I don't know because I haven't I, been I in mean, the clubhouse. I'm talking from your experience. Oh, oh absolutely. You can tell which teams yeah. are closer than others. Sure. There are some teams that are very cliquish. There's some teams that are not. Uh, there's just all kinds of dynamics. But the culture in that clubhouse is really, really important. There's some clubhouses, like I said, that are cliquish and not accepting of outsiders, of new guys that make him walk in. There's some clubhouses that are not, that are very open and accepting. I don't know. I haven't covered the current, but it seems to me that the current one seems to be very open and accepting to new faces, etc. cetera. Uh, but the point I was trying to make is that Jose Altuve, to me, I think I'm right. I haven't been in the clubhouse, but I think he's the guy that's laid the culture down over the past 10 years. And credit to him for that. Well, and he also leads by example. I mean, right. the gr- Well, that's the big thing. 
when he hit that home run in game five of the ALCS this past year in 2023, right. the, when the first thing he did was go congratulate Singleton yeah. for taking yeah. that walk, I was like, this is who he is. That's right. You know? That's right. Um, and he, there's countless examples of what an amazing player and person he is. But, you know, when I mentioned these last 10 years of the Astros, why it's so crazy to me is, you know, I went to law school in St. Louis. St. Louis is an amazing baseball town. History and tradition of success and winning the World Series. And, you know, my years there, we were in the midst of that six for nine, but we had never won a postseason series yet. You know, we didn't win a postseason series till three years after I graduated at law school. So, I, you know, I remember as a kid and being a fan, and I, you know, it, you love your baseball team. I used to, you know, the arguments I would get into trying to defend my team, you know, I never imagined being able to sit here and go, man, we've been to the World Series four times in six years. Yeah. We've won twice. Yeah. You know, like I used to always think to myself, I hope one day in my life before I die, I'll get to see them win the World Series at home, like be there in the ballpark, because that was like the my bucket list sporting event that I wanted to do. And like I, I achieved it. I couldn't believe like yeah. it was just it, it was just so crazy because I never imagined to see a team have this type, especially the Astros. You know, we were always close, but right. not there. Losing heart. Well, imagine crazy. it was this is most for other teams or other fans. This must be what it was like for us to maybe see the Patriots succeed year after year after year. Yeah. Always be in the mix. Always. Win multiple championships. And think, man, are we ever going to be in that class? Yeah. The Astros are now... The Astros are now that class. Yeah, and, and it makes me, you know, when you when you think about it, I know we've had such such amazing success, but for me, I I don't know why I can't get over 2019. I feel uh, like losing to the uh, to the uh, Nationals. Yeah, losing both games at home, losing yeah. all four games. Yeah, I got home. my certain thoughts about that game seven. I just didn't, and I and I thought for the most part that AJ Hinch was a really good manager. Yeah, but. I, Game seven, I'm, I'm not sure he managed particularly well, although I think in part in his defense probably has it, had his hands tied if Garrett Cole didn't want to come out of the pen unless it was a clean inning, mm-hmm. starting a clean inning, which also gives me an opinion about Garrett Cole. Yeah. I also felt like he just he went to the well one too many times with Will Harris. Like yeah. They had seen him so many times that it was kind of, yeah. kind of bound to happen. Um, I just think you can't lose game seven. With the best pitcher in the world at the time, he was the best pitcher. Yeah. With the best pitcher in the world sitting in the bullpen unused. Yeah. I just, I think you got to find a way. And the work, and in order to get there, you have to set that groundwork before the game. Yeah. You have to talk to him and convince him that he may have to come in in the middle of an inning. Now, he'd never done it in his career. I get that, but it's game seven. Yeah. And I think if you're a champion, and this is part of just my experiences of being in clubhouses, I've seen guys tell their manager or their coach, football, basketball, that they're willing to do whatever that particular day, even they may not be comfortable, but if, if needed. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you a specific example of that. When Roger Clemens pitched three scoreless innings in 2005 in that 18-inning playoff game, yeah. game. Now, he came in with a clean inning. I get that. Not apples-to-apples comparison. Yeah. But my point being, Clemens was willing to do whatever that day. My question is, was Garrett Cole willing to do whatever that day? I don't know. Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't know. I, and I know that A.J. Hinch took a lot, of, a lot of heat for that. But then again, at the same time, you had that 2019 offense, and they only put up two runs. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you had a pretty good game by Grinky going. Yeah. They should, they, you know, they should have just put that away. Um, but, you know, that's the one that for, forever just sticks with me. Yeah. Total interesting question I wanted to ask you. You know, you covered a lot of guys. Do you find it amazing how Vernon Maxwell has now come back and he's like <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, he's just like this great cult hero yeah. for the for the Rockets. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, in '95 he abandoned the team. He did abandon the team, but I think you just you gotta. I think forget and forgive and forget. I think a little bit of that. I mean, I haven't talked. Obviously, I interviewed Vernon a lot when he was yeah. with the Rockets. Obviously, I haven't in lately because I'm no longer in media. But he was a colorful character then, to say the least. But that's putting it kindly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I find that really interesting too, how fans just... But it goes to show, when it comes to sports, how forgiving fans can be. Yeah. You can do just about anything yeah. 
And if you've been a sports hero, come back and be forgiven. Just about anything. Yeah. Not anything. Yeah. But I think you can just do a whole lot and get away with it. And in years, it'll be, it'll be forgiven. Because, you know, they, you know, they had the, you know, I've been a Rocket season ticket holder for, I don't know, since the Toyota Center opened, so 03. They had the championship celebration for the 95 squad. And Vernon was a big, he was a part of it. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, I know he got a ring. He played the season. Yeah. He was part of the team. He, he earned his spot on yeah. that. But he was just so celebrated. And yeah. everybody, you know, absolutely loved him. And I thought to myself, you know, there was a time when everybody was angry and like couldn't believe he left. Well, I think what I found is that the biggest characters, good or bad, are often the most celebrated years down the line. And sometimes people forget why they were the biggest characters. <laughs> yeah. They were just, or I should say, the biggest personalities, you know. People forget why were they the biggest personalities. It wasn't always for good reasons, but years down the line, they seem to be celebrated the most. You know, and it's funny because I've seen a couple of things with Vernon, and he, he'll tell you straight forward, like, he has absolute regret for some of his actions. He's like, do you know how much money I cost myself? <laughs> you know, yeah. just because he got labeled. Yeah. You know, he got labeled as a malcontent. And yeah. once you start getting traded around places, you're not really giving them a fair shot. And I know, you know, right. things are business. And he said, you know, I could have made a, a lot more money. Yeah, he probably did. I didn't think about that. He probably did. Yeah, I I covered Vernon, and I Vernon had one or two confrontations with me in a locker room because he didn't like the things that our station was saying about him when he was not being, the nicest guy. Being in Mad Max, <laughs> yeah, me being Mad Max, and so he'd confront me about it. But yeah, so and that's the other thing, by the way, about being in the locker room. Players want a chance to confront you about the. In this case, I didn't say it, but they mm -hmm. want a chance to confront you about the things you say about them on the air, or at least, the, if nothing else, to. Uh, defend themselves or state their case or give their side of the story. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And now these all these athletes have their own platforms, right? Yeah. And they get to, yeah. you know, they can communicate and get their message out, you know, kind of the, any way they want to. Um, I know the Texans just had a great season. You covered the Oilers during their playoff run. Yeah, and run. I covered the Texans too. I covered the Texans when Inception, I was in the room when uh, the commissioner of the NFL, I was uh, covering the NFL meetings, announced that Houston was getting an NFL franchise. You mean after they tried to give it to L.A. four that, different right. times? <laughs> and then Bob McNair walked into the NFL meetings with $700 million burning a hole in his pocket, I guess, and yeah. uh, slapped $700 million on the table. And, well, is this going to get it done? And of course, the answer was yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was there. We. Wow, what an experience. Yeah. Well, I covered a lot of NFL meetings at the time, um, and that's a whole different experience covering some of the, you know, 32 billionaires walking around a hotel lobby. But anyway. Uh, we'll all vote communist when it comes to their business. Right, 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 right. Uh, uh, yeah, socialism at practice is the NFL, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, I was there. That's that's another one of the highlights, really, I, that, now that you mention it, is watching Bob McNair land that NFL team and being in the room when it happened. You remember how crazy this town loved the Oilers. I was too young for Love You Blue, um, so I, that's well, I experienced all, that. That was yeah. all, that's kind of myth for me, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you have no idea. That's yeah. what everybody yeah. tells yeah. me. Yeah, and the fact that they you know filled the Astrodome coming back from that championship yeah. game loss, which Mike Renfro did catch it by the way. <laughs> uh, Two years in a row they did. Yeah, that. they filled the Astrodome. That's yeah. amazing to yeah. me. Um, to you know the the height of the moon in Pardee. Uh, era. That's about the most, one of the most underachieving Houston sports teams I can make, probably the most underachieving team. I felt like they were so talented. They had everything there, yeah. but they were just a circus. Yes, it was always a, a circus with yeah. them. Yeah. It was, uh, and you have no idea about what a circus it was covering that every day because most of the time you weren't covering NFL football. You were going to the facility or to the practice. Yeah. And some non-football event would happen that was a drama that you had to cover. Some of it, you know, tragic, obviously. Jeff Alm. Jeff Alm, yeah. Death of Jeff Alm. Babygate. Yeah, Babygate. So the Oilers were always a circus. Do you feel like the Texans and the fans in the city will ever capture what we had for, for those Oilers? Blue. 
Even even the 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 moon era, the one that I grew up in. Oh, I think they can surpass the moon era because the moon era, you know, never got to a conference championship. So if you get to a conference championship, you've surpassed that, and I think the passion will surpass that. So yeah, I think they'll do that. The love affair with the team, I'm not so sure, and people will say I'm crazy, but unless you experienced Love You Blue and you knew what that was, mm-hmm. that passion for the individual characters on the team was like. And what a god Earl Campbell was. Yeah. You know, Earl Campbell's obviously on the Mount Rushmore of Houston athletes, I yeah. think. I mean, I see the Mount Rushmore a lot on Twitter and other places. And the ones that don't include Earl Campbell, I just automatically, this person has no idea what they're talking, talking about. about. Yeah. Okay. Because Earl Campbell is the most impactful football player in the history of this city, period. Period. Okay. When he became an Oiler, he took an obscure 500 team. From that, from obscurity and 500, they were seven and seven year before to the conference championship game two years in a row, almost single-handedly. Okay, and he did that within his first two years. Two years, rookie year, second year. Yeah. Okay, so if you don't realize the impact Earl Campbell had on this city, not just as a in football, but what he had on this city, he transcended football here. You didn't have to be a football fan to know and be a fan of Earl Campbell. Yeah. And I'll say this, Earl Campbell is the most impactful football player this city, Houston's ever had. Uh, C.J. Stroud is number two on that list. Wow. Because I challenge you to name a guy that's elevated a Houston football franchise from where they were last year to an NFL playoff win in one season. Kind of an unfair question because really quarterbacks are about the only people that can do that. I was going to say maybe Moon, but Moon didn't. Moon, Moon does, doesn't compare to this. Well, no, it doesn't because Moon didn't take over a complete disaster. Yeah, they okay. were building. You know, they were building, and I, I guess you could argue that you know that maybe they were a disaster, but I don't think to this degree. C.J. Stroud, I think, is the most, second most impactful football player this city has ever had. Well, in this NFL, you need head coach and quarterback. If you don't yeah. have both, you're not going to win. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a quarterback's league. You know. So, you uh, you, you think the Texans will eventually punch through and get get to a championship game? Uh, it's just. I mean, yeah. the sky's the sky's the limit now when you look at it. Well, yeah. What they I, have. Uh, their running game is going to have to improve. I don't think you, you know, and I know that it's a passing league and a quarterback mm. league, but you have to have some semblance of a running game. It cannot be. You can't be completely absent of a legitimate running game, which is what they are now. I mean, Singletary's a fine running back, but they have to get better there. If they can get him at the right price, they should go after Saquon Barkley. Well, Derrick Henry's available, but, uh, and again, I don't follow this stuff as close as I should, so I can't tell you everybody that's available, but I can see with my eyes, they got to get better. Uh, And I think defensively, uh, they're going to have to figure out the safety, to me, the safety situation. One more thing I want to ask you, then we'll do some quick hitters and we'll 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 wrap up. Baseball Hall of Fame. I know we talked a little bit about it before we started, but uh, I think it's interesting enough to talk about. So Wagner falls five votes short. And I, I really, I, I really think it's it's a total travesty. And I don't know if you saw John Heyman's article where he said he deserves to be in. I hope he gets in, but I don't have him. I read the headline, but I didn't read the article, and I'm not sure what the point there was. It, it really wasn't. I read the article because I was just amazed. I said, well, I need to understand this. And it didn't make any sense. He said relievers basically are just a small percentage of the players. And even though I feel like he's had a good enough career, I don't feel the impetus to, to vote for him. So I hope he gets in next year, but I'm not voting for him again next yeah, year. Yeah, see, I think the system is flawed. And I, I, I tweeted this. I don't think the voters, the writers, have a specific duty to any specific player. Okay? Yeah. But I think the system as a whole is very flawed when a guy like King Griffey Jr. can't get 100% of the votes the first yeah. year he's I mean who sits there in a room and wonders if Ken Griffey Jr. is a Hall of Famer and I know that's not exactly what they're thinking they're going to mm-hmm. you know but I go back to who thinks who has to consider whether or not Ken Griffey Jr. is a Hall of Famer that's absurd that's yeah. just laughable to me that doesn't make you more intellectual it doesn't make you anything but absurd same thing with Randy Johnson. Same thing with oh, Randy some, Johnson. Yeah, another one of uh, another one of those guys that should have been. I just um, picked Ken Griffey Jr. because I consider him the second best player of that era of about a twenty or twenty-five year era, right behind Bonds. Yeah, I mean, 
injuries were the only thing that kept him from having even higher records because uh, he was hurt towards the end of his career. Yeah, yeah, he you was. Know, he but was. But he was amazing. <laughs> just an amazing, you know, two-way player. He, you know, he, yeah. he was a heck of a center fielder. So who do you think? Do you think Wagner gets in next year? I would. That's what apparently. That's what everyone. I don't know, but that's I mean, what speculation is. They have. But I mean, how many guys? that had him this year are going to drop him next year, just like guys dropped him this year that had him the previous year. I, I, don't, I think the system is, is, is really flawed. It's interesting you say that because I do think he may get a bump with it being his last year on the ballot because I, I did read that some of the writers were like, look, uh, you know, I'm going to put Sheffield on because he, this is his last year. I know this guy, player X, has another few years, so... Well, I, okay. Well, if that plays into it. I don't know. There's got to be a better system to do it. Yeah. I can't figure what that is. I don't know what that is. Because I don't understand how people trend up, you know? Yeah. Like, Wagner started at 17%, then 30 But if you really, 50. to me, if you're the Professional uh, Baseball Writers Association, you want to have more credibility than they do right now in yeah. this process. And they're not going to please everybody. I get it. Everybody has a guy they think should be in the Hall of Fame. Everybody can't be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But I just think they got to work on their credibility and the credibility of the system because I do think it's hurting. On this current Astros team, do you see Hall of Famers outside of Altuve? I see Verlander and Altuve as kind of yeah, guaranteed. Funny, I was talking about, to that with my brother-in-law the other day. Um, you know, he mentioned a point. What if Kyle Tucker year after year after year continues to put up the numbers he does? They're not. He's not a flashy player. Mm-mm. He's just a really good, solid player, but he'll have to do that. So, no, I don't consider Kyle Tucker future Hall of Famer at this point. I mean, Todd uh, Helton made it. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, playing a course, too. Yeah. Uh, no, not right now, not at this point. I think it's Altuve mm-hmm. and uh, and Verlander, like you said. I don't know if Alvarez is going to be able to play long enough to be able to put the numbers that, that he's going to need to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's going to have to play some more complete seasons from start to finish. And have some real dominant years. And have some real dominant, especially as a primarily a DH, DH yeah. so he's going to have to put up some monster offensive numbers. He's capable of that, but I don't know if he's capable of that consistently without injury. That's, yeah. that's a problem. Yeah, and look, it's always interesting. The thing about the Baseball Hall of Fame that really just frustrates me is I just think that there's so much inconsistency, you know, like we had mentioned previously. Berkman and Oswalt deserved more consideration. I'm with you on Oswalt, but Berkman... Berkman was, you know, one of the elite players during his time here. He was. If you look at it, he sh- I'm stunned that he's no- he got dropped off so quick. I'm not saying he's a no-brainer Hall of Famer. I'm saying I would vote for him, and at, le- at the very least, he should have garnered more consideration for a long- longer period of time. David, because last things. I got a couple of quick hitter questions. They're just kind of off the wall. Three favorite places to eat in Houston. Boy. Man, there's a lot of places. I know. Phoenicia's Middle Eastern place right down the road here. I love Phoenicia. Yeah. I like, we go to the one downtown all the time yeah. when we're going to the game or okay. something. Yeah. Uh, a Taste of Texas. Okay. Wonderful steak place. We have a family tradition of eating there every New Year's Eve. Okay. So Taste of Texas, Phoenicia. I'm trying to think of it. Probably Papado's as a third. I'm not a big, to be honest with you, I'm not a big, uh, when it comes to restaurants and my kids get on me about this, the fanciest place in town is not what impresses me. Actually, yeah. I'm more into a, just a low-key, good food place, yeah. that sort of thing. Excellent. Uh, I know we. it's interesting we had mentioned this. Mount Rushmore of Houston sports athletes in your lifetime. Oh, in my life? Well, in my lifetime, that's uh, Hakeem, Altuve. Earl. Earl. And then the fourth one, are we going to include the individual people like... Uh, I don't include like Carl Lewis and, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay, so you're talking about team sports? Yeah. So Hakeem, Altuve, Earl, probably Bagwell or Watt. Okay. I, I debated with it because it used to be a lot of people like to go with Nolan. I think with Bagwell and Biggio, they're kind of tied together. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with his career, you have, you'd have to pick J.J. Probably so. Uh, the thing with Nolan, and Nolan's my favorite pitcher of all time, by the way. <laughs> but I'm, I'm objective enough to just, he, he amassed a lot of numbers with the Angels and then later on with the Rangers. Yeah. So, and he was terrific as an Astro, but I can't put him on the Mount Rushmore if this is going to sound crazy. He wasn't even really one of the top four Astros pitchers ever. Yeah. Um. You know, Oswald, to, well, Verlander is the greatest Astros pitcher. Not 
and I'm not saying the greatest pitcher to put on an Astros uniform, because that's Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. I'm talking about the greatest Astros pitcher is still Verlander, if you look at what he's accomplished in an Astros uniform, yeah. but I'll take a case for Oswald. Okay. To me, those are the two guys that are at the top of the Astros list. And then you take Oswald Verlander, and then you got to look at guys like uh, Joe Necro. Mike Scott. Uh, Mike Scott. Uh, I mean, he had a short period. The guy that doesn't good. get mentioned often enough is Larry Durker. Yeah. If you and look he, at the numbers of what Larry Durker called. And he started as an 18-year-old. Right, as an 18-year-old. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, one more Mount Rushmore question and then one last one. So Mount Rushmore, stadiums, all sports. Oh, man. I really don't have one for that. Really? I haven't visited enough stadiums. And I can't, I'm just not going to be a homer and name all the Houston <laughs> stuff. Um, although, I don't have an answer for you on that. That's fine. I apologize. Last one. If you could change the outcome of one Houston sports game, whether it's Oilers, Rockets, Astros, change the outcome of one of those games. Well, let's take the current Astros out of it because right. there's just so – because 19 you mentioned. Yeah, you know? that's my answer always. Yeah. yeah. So let me just take that out of it make it a little more challenging. Uh, there's probably two. I'd go back to what would have happened if – the Mike Renfro catch was good. Yeah. So that's one. And you said two? Changing of the, you know, changing yeah. the outcome. Yeah. I think that's one. And then I go back to Astro. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick historically here. Astros, Phillies, game five in 1980. Oh, at home. At home. Yeah, extra. With a lead. Game. Nolan yeah. Ryan with a lead. Wow, that would have changed a lot of things. Uh, you know, um, one, I had somebody on the guest who said uh, they would change Game six, 86. Okay, I'll go for that. Yeah, game because, six. But then there's still a game seven. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, everyone says we, Mike Scott, but you never know. Yeah. You never know. Whereas but, 1980, you're going to the World Series. You're going to the World Series. Yeah. And who would they have played in 80? Uh, the, the, Phil, Roy, uh, the, the Royals. The Royals, yeah, that's right. Yeah. right. Well, David, I cannot thank you enough. That that went really fast. Well, I hope it was satisfactory. No, know. it was excellent. I, I really enjoyed it. You your wealth of, uh, of knowledge and information, and I think we have a great conversational tone, and uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and I can't right. thank well, you Well, thanks enough. for having me. Yeah, thank you.